Oh. That was like watching the ISU play. Like we went to the game yesterday. I'm like, oh. wasn't that fun? No, no. I, I told you you should save your money because uh, I wanted to see the new arena and the and the, one of the pastors who's a friend of mine is the chaplain there, and so he's been encouraging us to go. I'm like, oh. well, let me go try. And they did well against San Diego State, and with the exception of one quarter, they did really well against Utah. So I'm like, well, let me. They played Utah? Utah State. It's, a, it's called a money game. So San Diego State and yeah, they, they go and the, the, the program makes 500000 They played here in Pocatello? No, no they played. Was... They went to Utah oh, yeah, yeah. and Utah paid them $500,000 right, to go. Exactly. It's a warm-up. And so did San Diego. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a huge moneymaker for the, the program. Yeah, I know, but I... But, I they, but they get teams that they know they're going to kill. I figured if they only lost by two touchdowns and, and they played, I didn't know that they... No, no, they lost uh, by way more. It was 72 to something. There you go. That's it's, so a, it's a 14 when they played Utah. And that's what's wrong with ISU's program. They've got to quit playing for money. They've got to well, start yeah. out. Yeah, but it's you hard. It's hard because you've got to have the money. For the program, and you got, you're so and be, because well, the point is you you get a bunch of preseason games where you know you're going to win and build the confidence of the team, but you don't make any money on those games, and so then you just lost out on a million bucks for the program, and so that's used for recruiting for other things like that. So anyway, um, I was just frustrated because I felt like there were coaching mistakes, but that's okay. I'm watching the defense. I'm like, you guys are leaving that right open. Oh look, a touchdown. Yeah. What a shock. Yeah, well, you know that their offensive coordinator is reading your mind saying, hey, pastor over there saying that they've got that, that uh, there's a lane right there. Yeah, yeah there's just a different, uh, you know, again, I'm looking from a completely different vantage point and, yeah. and you know, I don't coach football. Connie, so. the moral of the story is you can pray for them. They need all the prayer they can get. Um. I'm not sure that will help them. Anymore. Well, that that is a solid point. I'll well, think. here's the thing I will say is in the past when they were down that much, they would just roll over and die. They came back in the third quarter and the fourth quarter and did two more touchdowns. Mm-hmm. They actually won the second half. Okay. So, I mean, I think that that's, that a, a a, that's a good sign that they didn't just quit and they and so that's and the coach was very honest. He says, "You can't make the mistakes we made and mm-hmm. and win." He goes, "So, yeah. He goes, effort was there. We just made mistakes. Hmm. And so, you know, anyway. Lord, thanks for tonight. Thanks for your word. Thanks for ISU football. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord, uh, bless our time tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. By Next the way. Next time, pray for the Broncos. <laughs> oh, no, I, I will never do that. But um, I'll, I'll pray that they lose. But I knew, I knew the Bills were, because Josh Allen, you know, ate so bad last week and he admitted I'm like oh whoever they're playing next week happened to be the Raiders got killed anyway Matthew 13 we're going to wrap it up we kind of ended really quick with it last week uh, but 53 through 58 I just want to make some comments on that and when Jesus had finished these parables he went away from there and coming to his hometown he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did he get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown um, and in his own household. And he did not do many works there, mighty works there, because of their unbelief. 
Now, one thing we do need to notice is that Jesus is recognized as one with great wisdom. And, and so I want to encourage us that though we might be persecuted and though we might be looked at funny by, by people, um, typically it's not because we're stupid. Typically it's because we actually make sense and it convicts them. Um, and they don't know how to handle it. And so they just say, you're crazy and a lunatic, and we don't want to believe what you have to say. Again, we're in a nice, cushy part of the world and time, and so we don't necessarily deal with that the way that we did. But I would like us to look at Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is very encouraging for us. And I, you know, this is what I would want to be said of all of us. Um, at least part of this. So Acts 4, uh, let's begin at 8, mm-hmm. or 5, excuse me. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest of Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them, that is the disciples, we're looking at Peter and John here, um, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, interesting, Peter is a fisherman. Now, the education system was a little different for them than it is for us. Um, they didn't just pass kids so that the, you know so they could be you know passed. They they studied. I mean, there was an for Jews there was a, a level of understanding and scripture that they had memorized. Uh, and so uh, even though Peter is a fisherman and he probably had some salty words that would come out of his mouth from time to time, he still even though he and this is the work of the Spirit on his life to form what he said. Verse 13, now when they, that is the the rulers and the elders and the high priests, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So what we see about that is it's not that they were uneducated as far as they didn't know how to read or write. Is just they were not they were not considered scribes. They weren't considered Pharisees. They weren't considered the you know these these great theologians. But yet they're speaking in a manner where they're like, wait, that's wisdom. That's boldness. There's something there that that we can't really dispute. And why? Well, you've been with Jesus. So right now there's a reputation already in the beginning of Acts that those who were followers of Je- followers of Jesus were actually bold and well spoken. Um, which is interesting for us to know. Yes, Steve. I was going to say, I find it amazing for myself that Jesus is going around for three years in his ministry. He's healing thousands of people. Anybody that says scriptures is everybody that came to him, he was healed. They never understood that. Then 
then, then Peter comes over there and they want to know how the man was healed. And he says, let it be known that it's by Jesus Christ whom you crucified. I'm, you know, how, how can that be a shock? You know, you'd think, I guess if he had a, dar- a darkened heart, but I mean, you know, first, Jesus, I mean, that, that, that had to make the Jerusalem newspaper. Well, there was a, and this is after Pentecost. Right, right. And there was a difference in these men that was noticeable. Right. And I would say that to the believer, I mean... Uh, I have to be careful how I say this. Okay. But I would hope that when you've received the Holy Spirit, you've had the forgiveness of sins, and the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells, that there is a noticeable difference. Otherwise, you know, if Peter was just still a salty mouth fisherman, they'd be like, oh, okay. But there's something different about him, and there's something different about us, whether we like it or not. How could the Pharisees, uh, and when they call Peter uh, and... uh, John in there that they uh, uh, they couldn't deny the miracle. I mean, I guess they had to address it. I mean, by what authority? Because uh, why would they even if they're fishermen and they know that they're uneducated, why who would even care? Well, well that's why they're calling him in because you guys aren't the ones who are supposed to be doing this. Uh, but again, the reputation was that of Jesus, and so speaking to that of Jesus, if you look at the end of John, the very last verse of John twenty one twenty five. This is one of those things that always just astounds me. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So what we need to realize about Christ is that everything that he did in his public ministry, and we're really only talking three and a half years, but everything he did was miraculous to, to a degree. Yeah. And John's acknowledging we could. There's no way we could write everything down. We get the highlights, sort of, because there was so much. This is what we remember, um, and so that's always encouraging to me. And I think that it's even a. I think it's even a prophecy, of us sitting here. Look at what Christ has done. We can't write that, all that down, and so for generations to come. So back to Jesus and his family being there, and him saying he's in his own town, and they're. They're like, you know, kind of rejecting him. Um, that's some of the, you know, people who grew up are, you know, with someone like Steve, because he's the worst barbarian among us here. Um, he, you know, they're, they're, he comes and shares Jesus. And they're like, yeah, I know you. You're that kid who picked on my sister. You're that kid who stole my lunch money. You're that kid. How, you know, we don't want to listen to you. Uh, yeah, your, reputa- your reputation precedes you. We, you know, we don't want that. And so a lot of times with the familiarity that people have, um, they can just kind of discount you because they just know you. And it's kind of like um, family members can be this way. Like, oh, yeah, you're, that, you're just that person. And so you know, it's kind of like when you have kids. I can't tell you how many times um, our kids have come home over the years and said, hey, so-and-so was telling us this, and we really think, I think it's a good idea. Like they're, they, you know, they're a youth pastor or some other adult. And we're like, yeah, we've been telling you that. Like word for word, and they're like, but they didn't hear it from us, right? They heard it from someone else, uh, and, and it's like okay. And so we we have to pause and go. Well, thankfully, at least they heard it, <laughs> whether it was from us or not. But our families and our friends can often reject the truth because they deflect by looking at the messenger to avoid the message, um, even when it's Jesus Christ. You know, yeah, that's that's the kid, isn't this? 
Isn't this Joseph's, the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Aren't these his brothers and his sisters? Like, what makes him special? He grew up in our town. And, and he was just a kid. You know, none of them noticed that he never disobeyed his parents. <laughs> you know, if they would have, that would have been astounding. Uh, you know, they would have been, oh, wow. But they questioned who Jesus was, even though they acknowledged his great wisdom. So, the family of Jesus uh, focused on the humanity of Jesus, and that area focused on the humanity of Jesus while denying the deity of Jesus. They just were so overwhelmed with the humanity, they could not see the deity. Now we know, after his deity was surely established in the, in the resurrection, uh, for sure, I mean, historians will tell you that more than just James came around. Um, but, you know, uh, his, it was a different story. Oh, maybe he is a little bit greater than we thought. Maybe he is actually who he said he was. Um, and so we can often shift our focus to the imperfect messenger, though. In this case, Jesus is the perfect messenger, but it still applies to us. What would you do? What would you do with with uh, Jesus? He's thirteen. He's in the temple. He, the family takes off. He's still talking to the Pharisees. They come back. You know why have you dealt with us? You know they find him missing. But it says his mom and his dad. This blows me out. His mom and dad did not know what he was talking about. Well, you know, you know, I must be about my father's business. But then yeah. at 13, he goes over for 17 more years, comes under his parents' authority. Tell me that, and you're, and you're God. Well, you and even, even those and... first 13 years, he became just a normal, what we would call a normal kid, or it seemed normal, even though he didn't disobey or anything. Well, the, the so, Pharisees at the time, he says he was... The, yeah, they were astonished by his... Yeah, you know, yeah, Yeah. And so, again, we have to be careful, like, especially even when... You know, when we're listening to a sermon or something, that we don't negate or discount the truth that's present just because the messenger, um, you know the messenger. Uh, or, you know, and I struggle with this, if the messenger isn't a good messenger. What I mean by that, if, the, if, if they're just not polished or eloquent or, or have some sort of, pre, you know, ability to present. Uh, there's sometimes I've listened to pastors and I'm like... What made you think you could be a person to to give sermons and preach? Because it's so dull, it's so dry, or they stumble over their words all the time, and you're like, mm-hmm. you know, like what is going on? And um, the Lord has to remind me. Well, but are they speaking truth? And I'm really a harsh critic critic of of people's ability musically. So sometimes I've been around you know music teams that are just bad. And I mean, a, a pastor that we sat under for several years who I respected as a musician even addressed it one time. He goes, you know, it doesn't matter who's playing or how well it's being played. If they're speaking about Jesus, the issue is yours and not theirs. And I'm like, I wish I'd never, we should have missed that night. But um, <laughs> because it's true, you know, it, again, it goes back to this morning in Bible study, the heart behind it. Now, obviously, I think you would desire that people who are gifted in certain ways would use them for the Lord in, in a certain manner. But sometimes it's just, um, it, I know guys who have just been called to the ministry and they don't think they should, but God has placed them the head of a church. And here they are, terrible preachers. What, what, but the word still goes forth. So, what, what, uh, How many, I was trying to think of the major uh, evangelists he was talking about one of the greatest, I think it was in the 20s or something, but he had a monotone voice. 
it was a national call to repentance. And he, you know, he was not flashy like you, monotone, <laughs> and the Holy flashy. Spirit. Flashy. I kept my robe closed today. This evangelist was supposedly uh, uh, just monotone, just speaking, you know, the, very plainly and uneloquently. And it says the Holy Spirit came in there and just wiped out the, the whole congregation and, and just the the conviction of the Lord. And I was just thinking, wow, I mean, there's hope for me. Yeah, well, you know, you, you know, you look at Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith is not the most, was not the most dynamic preacher. Now, a lot of guys after him, but he's not the most dynamic, but he just went through the Word. Jay Vernon McGee is another guy oh, that I, I used to listen that. to his radio program all the time. <laughs> just goes through the Word. And he just, well, that's what it says. Yeah. And then moves on to the next thing. Like, okay, no explanation, you know, well. So, um, but I think it's important for us to know uh, that we carry the perfect message of Christ, right? Even in our imperfection. And so yet the truth of the good news is not dependent upon our ability or our adequacy, but solely on the eternal truth of God. Now, I know you had some questions about um, they did not do, he did not do many miracles because of their unbelief. So the question, by the way that that is phrased in our translation, makes us almost think that the miracles of Christ were predicated upon someone's ability to believe. And <clears throat> I would say that, that they didn't want the miracles of Jesus is a better translation. And they did, he did not do many miracles there because they did not want or they did not see him as one that would provide miracles for them. So I think that's probably a better translation. Um, it, you know, we see the blind man come. We see the man with, with the, the, the son with the demon-possessed son. We see, uh, you know, the woman with the daughter. We see uh, Jairus come with his daughter. And they're desperate. And they want to believe that Christ can do it. So they're coming to him. So he honors that. Um, many came to him who were sick. And they brought friends. And they brought who were sick believing that Jesus... Uh, so what we see here is that, um, and this sounds, this is a horrible way to say it, so forgive me if I misspeak, Lord, please. But the, the, the reality is, is the way I interpret it, and it's my analytical mind and my efficiency disorder. Um, it's why would Jesus waste his time healing people who don't want to be healed? That's what I was thinking. He's probably like, why bother? He's like, well, no one's asking for it. So he's like, okay. Isn't that one of the, every one of the miracles is there, the the blind man, what would you want me to do? We'd like to see, Lord. Or the the leper. Yeah. Do you believe I can do this? Yes. Yeah. And touch him almost every single time as I'm going through the gospel. Yeah. He's saying, you know, do you believe I would do this? Or what would you have me to do? Or the, the guy at the, at the pool of Bethesda. Yeah. You know, just, well, no one can get me in there. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, how about I heal you without that? Right? And, and yet, so, go ahead. I, I, I don't know, though, because I look at Saul, yeah. for instance. You know, well, he needed the healing of Jesus in his heart and mind and soul to be saved, Right? And so you're talking about Paul on the road Saul, to Damascus when right, he was so right, okay. That, but that, let me ask you this: that, to me, that to me, 
coming sure. to faith is a miracle. Well, but now, now I think there's a difference, though. So when people hear about Jesus and they respond with, I want that. Or they go, I don't want that. He's not going to force healing upon somebody who doesn't want him to heal them. Right? Now, he does he heal without people knowing that it's him or recognizing him? Absolutely. Uh, but the whole point is, is that they did not desire the help of the Lord in his town. But Saul didn't desire. But let me ask, so that I may go back to my question. Did, could Saul, in the moment when he was struck by, with blindness in the light, could he have said, I don't believe you, and I'm, I'm going to stand in blindness the whole time? He probably could have. The thing that is, he says, he says Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. But the thing that is... When he tells Ananias, uh, Ananias doesn't want to be around this cat right. who's tormenting you. He says he's a chosen vessel of mine right. to you know to to go to the nations. And I'm just thinking, wow. Right. So the point I'm making, Laura, is Jesus presenting himself in his hometown. Here I am. Yeah. We know that everywhere he went, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for it's here. Shared the good news, and they didn't want it. So. You know, I think God offers, Jesus offers who he is to all of us, and some people don't want it. Saul could have rejected. When he said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, he could have said, ah, no, 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 I'm pers- no, I'm persecuting people who say they follow you. I'm not persecuting you. But he was, he, he, he was humbled to the core, and he said, okay, I do. I want to follow you now. And so, again, Jesus presents himself and that miracle of salvation is enacted when people receive that presentation of Christ in their lives. So now again, he has mercy on who has mercy and all these things. So these are some other questions and yeah, mysteries we can't say, understand. To uh, so the testimony of some people, they weren't even searching or looking or... They were in such pride. Right, but I would say that were, people in his hometown... And all of a sudden, home, they were just But humbled. people in his hometown weren't looking for that. And right. again, this was pre-resurrection, pre-Holy Spirit infusion. We'll call it infusion, right? And so their eyes were still very blind. And again, we see in the ministry of Jesus, people going to great lengths to get to him. Because of his reputation. Right. They denied that reputation because they're like, this is the dude that grew up with us. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, who does he think he is? And so, again, I think that, that um, it, it, I still don't think, God does God heal and remain anonymous? I think he does all the time. I think he works miracles constantly all the time and people don't recognize it. Uh, now, sometimes people wake up and then they're like, oh, look at this, this and this all through my life that God did these things. Um, but the point of, of this is that they recognized him as being wise, but they questioned it because they're like, this is just Mary's son. This is the carpenter's. They, they, they looked at his humanity. And so they could not believe that he was God and that he had miraculous working power. And so he, they didn't seek that from him. So he didn't do many miracles in his hometown. Yeah, and they even known what God was. Oh, sure. They're all Jews. Yeah, they're Jews. You know, to, to, so they were taught. They were taught who God was, to Lord's and they were looking for the Messiah, which Jesus fit every category of the Messiah. Okay. So yeah. 
to Laura's point over there, that what's interesting over there, I believe when he was knocked up and they, they lead him over to Damascus, Laura, I, fi I, I find it interesting, uh, he comes down and I and he up. says he's three, you know, he, for three days he's been praying and blind over there, and he said, I want you to go pray for this guy, but he says, you know, God acknowledges this, he's praying, he's interceding like you're saying, he's doing an evaluation, well, he's, I guess under Gamaliel, uh, he's, he's in the harbor of, of, of instruction. He might be in the three days going over his, his Hebrew scriptures, you know, who are you, Lord? It might, it might have rung a bell and said, well, maybe this Jesus is, did I miss Yeah, something? the history books would tell you that Gamaliel was next in line behind Caiaphas to be the high priest. I did not know that. And so this is who Paul was taught by. And then we had the destruction of the temple and the dispersion, so it didn't, you know, that was all kind of torn away. You know, I just, I, I guess there's still to be a, a question of, because there are testimony of people who, you know, I mean, look, um, and, I, and this is after, this is after the Holy Spirit has come on the well, scene. Well, but even so. before then, look at Abram. Mm -hmm. Abram, I'm calling, I'm calling right. you out. God. Now, again, I brought this question up. I don't know if it was last week here or Bible study and, or whatever, but, but. How, did God call other people? And Abram was the one that said yes, and that's the one we hear about. We don't know. Did call, you know? Right. These and, are things we and don't yet know. We know that that, that faith right. was given to him to be able to acknowledge. Right, and but say, faith. Yes, I think, I think faith is given to everyone, and some exercise it, and some don't. That's a whole different philo philosophical question mm -hmm. that we can really. Because when he says he died for the sins of the whole world. He reconciled, even while we were enemies, he reconciled us to God so that the language there is that the whole world, past, present, future, is reconciled to God. And some people say, no, thank you. All right, so that's, a, I mean, we can, we need a lot more coffee and maybe, <laughs> maybe something a little stronger to get into that. So, uh, so it's just, I mean, I think that what we see is that Christ does not force himself upon people who do not recognize who he is. Or want, or you know, I think that's really just a simple takeaway. Don't do, do we see these moments where Christ reveals Himself, right? But how many stories do we don't hear where Christ revealed Himself and people said no, thank you? We don't hear those stories because they're not, no one's talking about Him. <laughs> well, so. and I get in your, what you're saying about forcing Himself on, yeah. he, you know, again, yeah. He Did he see sick people there? Probably. But the fact that it him. said, you know, he even says of himself, you know, that he is gentle and yeah, yeah, and kind and right. and so, yeah, presenting himself, but not and even the language in Matthew that we'll get to at the end. Of, or, well, we did already. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there's an invitation, right? And if people are like, I don't want to come to you, he's not going to force. Yeah. That upon him. now it's it now and yet it's a different he does discussion. have the hand that comes upon and yeah. and you know and it it feels like it is the hammer you know the ham the rock the rock that is you know broken up by the yeah. hammer yeah and and so it does feel like he's he's come down hard I mean you look at some of these really prideful I mean God's working. Well, Saul is probably the be one of the best examples, you know, that became Paul. Well, even you know, Peter's another good example. Well, Get behind me, Satan! The, but you look at some of the kings too, who are in well, the pride, Neb Nebuchadnezzar, going down right? One particular yeah. way, and then God intervenes and right. But again, so Nebuchadnezzar, 
It says, when the end of days had come, I came to reason. Right. So there was a moment that, okay, I've, I finally am coming to my right okay. mind. I've been humbled enough to go, okay, and then I'm going to praise the Lord. But he could have not and stayed in that state until he died. Right. right? One right? of the things that uh, Laura, you're you talking about. Well, no, fair enough. <laughs> it could be a little bit of both. It's an important thing, uh, Laura. I was just thinking over there on, on, on the book of Acts over there. One of the last things that, uh, uh, or one of the major things he saw, the stoning to Stephen. And so when Stephen gives his defense, I mean, he says, you always, uh, 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 how does he put it, uh, uh, oppose the Holy Spirit. And, and Saul was there holding the coats and was in and the approving. thing. I'm not so certain that that didn't struck a nerve in his heart. So they say, well, maybe he's right. You know, yeah, I don't I think. Know. Yeah, I would say after his conversion, he knew he was right. <laughs> Good call. But uh, again, so. How often it could be a process. Moving on to Matthew 14. So we'll just probably go through 1 through 12 for the moment. Um, at that time, now when we say at that time, this is just saying it's not like, okay, right after they didn't do, he didn't do any miracles. He's just saying, hey, the time of Jesus, this, you know, there was this time in ministry and Jesus had heard this. So at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been released or raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and it pleased Herod. And so he was promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Okay, so here's what we need to understand. Herod the Tetrarch says, um, when he heard about the fame of Jesus, he said, well, this is John the Baptist raised from the dead, because Otherwise, why could he do all these miraculous things? And then we get the backstory, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it's kind of the writing is, is sort of um, just all over the place here. Um, Herod heard about Jesus. At one time, he heard about Jesus and said, well, this must be John the Baptist. And then Matthew's like, yeah, but here's why he thought that it was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Here's the backstory there. Okay, so that's what's happening here. Um, so... Herod also um, was vexed by guilt uh, because he realizes what he did to John was wrong. And so the fame of Jesus, his only explanation was this is pretty much John being raised from the dead. And, and in that mindset at that time would have been John raised from the dead coming back to haunt me. Um, so that's one of the things he would have thought. John the Baptist called the sin of Herod out. So I'm going to give you some little overview here. Called the sin of Herod out, causing Herod to, to put him in jail. Uh, so one thing that we need to know is when we stand for what is right, those in darkness put us away in obscurity to try and silence us. We see that in today's, you know, no, there's two genders. 
Let's just, you know, you know, you can't just, uh, you can't just be who you want to be, um, you know. And it's funny because our son called us out on that. You're not about the gender idea, but because um, we didn't even include this, but we know we told him, you know, you could be. You know, we always told him you could be whatever you want to be. And he's six foot four, and he says, I could never be a jockey. He goes, so I understand what my parents were trying to say. He did this from the pulpit while we're watching him, you know, at the church I planted and I let him. Okay. Anyway. And he goes, he goes, I understand what they're saying. He goes, but the reality is I can't be whatever I want to be. I'm six foot four. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a jockey. I'm not going to be a gymnast. Uh, well, you, (laughs) yeah, probably shouldn't. Um, and so, so, but the reality is, is we got to be who God has created you to be. He's created male and female. Um, and he's created people for a specific purpose and not to be, you know, uh, not be someone who can win at women's sports because they failed at men's sports. Okay. So, um, that's all I'm going to say about that. You don't see him running to be on the professional football players, do you? So, um, but again, when we stand up for something, just our presence as Christians convicts people and they'll like, let's change the subject or let's limit the time that we have or you, or let's, uh, not talk about it. You know, type thing. But we see Herod's guilt in the fact that he thinks Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And that gives Jesus greater ability um, because of this. The theory of the day was someone who's raised from the dead has overcome the supernatural and now has great ability over supernatural acts. That's what his thoughts would have been. Um, So again, I think another thing we can take from this, people will make up all kinds of rationale about Christ to deflect from the truth that Jesus is God. They'll make up all kinds of things about who he is. I mean, even there's people who believe that he was a hologram, that God just has greater technology than was, and so he was a hologram, and he never really died on the cross because it was just a hologram. Uh, and so, you know, that's just dumb. And then there's the swoon theory um, that he didn't completely die, and they, the disciples took him down before he died and resuscitated him back to life. Um, and then there's the replacement theory that, well, it says he was disfigured beyond recogni- rec- recognition, so somebody else was took his place on the cross and Jesus escaped. Yeah, you know, just, just stupid stuff. But they're trying to make up things just to negate that G- the truth that Jesus is God. Um, so I wouldn't encourage you to look up any of those theories because they're very, they're very frustrating and irritating. Mm-hmm. Um, but Herod and Herodias, a dysfunctional union. Let's just talk about this. Now, I'm going to try to give you the, the family tree here. Oh boy. Herod was the half-brother of Philip. Philip was married to Herodias. Herodias was the niece of Herod and Philip. So... Okay, Herodias married her uncle. She had Uncle, Her- uncle Herod, Uncle Philip. She married Uncle Philip. So Herodias married her Uncle Philip, okay? Then Herodias had an affair with her Uncle Herod. Right. Good family gatherings, they get together and have an affair, right? They would have known each other their whole lives for the most part. Um, and so Herodias uh, and Herod hook up her other uncle, it must have been short supply of men, um, divorced her uncle Philip and moved in with her uncle Herod. Big no-no. Not okay. So the daughter of Herodias then is believed to be the offspring of Philip, her first husband, the half-brother of Herod. So her, the first uncle she married had a daughter named Herodias. And, and so um, she then brought her daughter with her when she shacked up with Herod. Okay. The daughter of Herodias, okay, we see 
what this scripture is in, indicating here, the manner in which Herodias raised her daughter was not righteous. Okay. Oh, we got it. So they're having this birthday party for Herod and Herodias's daughter comes out and dances in um so the stepdaughter and great niece of Herod. <laughs> Let's just put it in perspective. Dance in a provocative manner. All the guests and probably, you know, twerked before twerking was popular, right? Or whatever, right? Dirty Uncle Herod wanted her as well. Is really, it pleased him. I want that, you know? And there are some scholars that say he got it and then offered her everything. We don't see that explicitly in scripture. Not too far of a, of a stretch, though. The request of Herodias reveals her conviction, though. And her guilty conscience. So it wasn't just Herod that was feeling guilty about John the Baptist. Herodias, because he called them both out. What you're doing is wrong. Herodias is clearly complicit in the sinful actions between her and Herod. So we see that because we see her encouraging the inappropriateness done by her daughter. We, so I think something's interesting. We believe that we can simply get rid of that which convicts us and that will soothe our, then that will soothe our aching soul. If we just get rid of the conviction, that which is convicting us, if I just don't go to church, if I just don't read my Bible, if I just don't hang out with those people who are Christians, if I just don't you know, fill in the blank, then I won't be guilty anymore. And we know that you can't get rid of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You just can't. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think of, of friends and family members of mine who have rejected Christ and I'm like, they're, they're, they can't get away from the conviction though. They just can't. They seem like they can. They're covering their lives and making noise in their lives that, that dulls the conviction that makes it harder to hear, but they cannot get rid of it. And so here we see Herodias you know, using her daughter's favor with with her his her un- her great uncle and her stepdad. Is this a TV series? I married my own grandpa, yeah. um, and so <laughs> I I am my own grandpa. And so and so she's using to say, "Let's get the head of John the Baptist," and we'll say, "Ha, huh, shows you for convicting us of our sin." I'll get rid of it. Um, the world tries again to get rid of of us at times. I mean. Obviously, not, not to this extent, but the heart behind it is just get the Christians to be silent and we won't have to be reminded that we're called out on our sin. I'm not so, so certain that uh, there's not a, a growing, uh, growing emphasis over there. If they had the power, that we would be in that situation. They would be calling for our lives. Right. If they had the authority, they don't have it. Yeah. But if they, if they could really... Well, we see that in other parts of the world, well, exactly. so it's not too far of a stretch. So here's something we need to make sure I clarify. Herod is a Roman official. Okay. So, but the reason that he didn't want John the Baptist killed was because he was afraid of the Jewish people. And the favor that John... The, but John was a popular guy. I mean, people were going in droves to be baptized by John. Um, and so he's like, ooh, I'll put him in jail. I'm not going to kill him, though, because I'm going to be afraid of all these people. And then he has dinner guests there. And Herodias' daughter, you know, does the whatever, the cha-cha. And he's like, yeah, I want that. What, what do you want? And so she talks to her mom. And her mom says, get John the Baptist's head. And he's going, oh, I didn't want to do this because of all the Jewish people. These are all my friends and my guests who are Romans. I have to save face. And so John the Baptist gets beheaded.
headed. But it, go ahead, yeah. Don't you think, I can't think of a woman that would say, go chop off somebody's head. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I can. Oh, really? I can. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. Not, not even. Not hey, even, Connie. Not, not every. Not every woman's as sweet as you. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> sure. There are. There are some criminals. Yeah. I, I, but just an average person, which this person is. Well, she's, she's not average. Not average. Mm-hmm. They're royalty. That's yeah. one of the things that you're yeah. not understanding. Whether right. it be Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar, when you when you're a monarch. Uh, Esther comes in there. She says, "There were people pray for me because when I go before the king, if he doesn't acknowledge me, I'm dead." So, right. And you know, uh, same with Herod. These yeah. People had These people had authority. It was just the way that they lived. That they chose who um, lived or died. And um, Herodias uh, was an evil person. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm gonna marry my uncle Philip, but I'm gonna have. Some historians believe that the affair with Herod started even right around, even before the marriage to Philip. Um, if you look at the history books, that they have known each other and they, they started when they were teenagers and uh, as some scholars have said. And, and then she leaves, brings her daughter, encourages her daughter to dance like that. I mean, you know, if you saw your daughter half naked dancing in front of a bunch of men and, and stuff, it would embarrass you, right? You'd be like, hey, don't do that. No, not Herodias. She's like, awesome. You know, you know hey, guess what? We're going to get the head of John the Baptist. So, so you're right. A normal person wouldn't... I don't, I don't believe that Herodias is normal. Not, um, not only is she not normal, uh, I was just going to say that uh, uh, the, the area of... of uh, she's not the only one in today's thing over there in the scriptural... Uh, I was thinking in the Old Testament and the New... Well, just through the scriptures, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, not every woman is 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 you, Connie. Nice. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm telling you, the Bible does not paint women as very good. Well, yes, they do. And wow. some of them are great. There's some of them are fantastic. Abigail's wonderful. Oh yeah. <laughs> Mary's right. wonderful. Yeah. De- Deborah Deborah's That's wonderful. True. Yeah. Yes. There's not a lot about them. Oh yeah. Well, there's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of bad dudes in there too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, and I think that's just the human condition. We just see that there's a, like I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about um, the drug cartels who, who go and steal kids and um, train the young men uh, that to, to be part of the, the, the family. At, by 10 years old, they have to take a life of somebody else. And by the time they're 16, they're killing up to, up to 10 people a day. And it's just, it just means nothing to them to kill people. Now, you know, we, we watch these gang movies and mobster movies and it seems like it's no big deal for them to kill people. Um, but the reality is there are people that have become extremely numb to the, the fact that they're taking a life. Um, that that life is an inconvenience to them. That life is a threat to them. So better to remove the threat and, and, and something that, that questions my power than to, than to have to deal with it. So lessons that we can learn, though, from Herod. So again, Herod did not want to kill John the Baptist, but he complied because he wanted to save face in front of his guests. Um, He didn't want to look weak. But I think often we speak before we think and we can find it difficult to backtrack. You know, I've said some things going, oh, maybe I should have thought of that before I just said, you know, even saying anything. What do you want? Anything. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I would love to bless you with something. You know, here's something, here's something from my treasury. What do you want? Okay, that's different than anything you want. 
I'll give to you because, you know, whatever, I don't want to speak inappropriately. Um, but I think also to be careful what we agree to in the moment of emotion. Do you think he was inebriated? Well, yeah. But Herod's case, this emotion was erotic lust. Mm-hmm. You've heard of crimes of passion and things like that. And, and this, you know, people do things in the heat of the moment that if they were thinking correctly, not only if they were inebriated, but there's also other endorphins and certain things that are triggered when you are aroused that can thwart your thinking. I don't think any teenage pregnancies has happened be, with people thinking straight. Okay, so um, they were, they were <laughs> the world makes all kinds of irrational and regrettable decisions based upon the pleasure of their flesh in the moment. We are living in a society of flesh balls. Everything is about pleasing the flesh anymore. Um, it's, it's quite astounding to me what, pe- what people consider um, good because it pleases the flesh now. I mean, you know, and I'm not as old as a couple of you in here. You know, but I'm even, you know, and I don't want to sound like an old dog, but I'm, I'm just astounded by the things that people are saying are okay to do. Because no. nobody well, that's nobody so. sticks up for what is, is right. right. Well, they won't listen to them either. Well, is so. it that or are people afraid that they want to be, you know, yeah. everybody wants to be part of the, the group. And so if you want to be part of the group and some idiot, yeah. no. nobody wants what, to. Is that what Johnson would say? He says, never underestimate the stupidity of large groups of people. No, it's true. It's true. So, um, you know, it is where we're at. And it does. That's why we're got to go stand up. And, you know, in our, in our sphere of influence, how can we just say, you know, mm, I don't think that's okay. <laughs> you know, that's probably not, it's probably not God honoring. Well, I don't want to honor God. Well, okay, you're doing a good job. <laughs> I mean, you're successfully not honoring the Lord. Um, so, the significance of John the Baptist. Because I think sometimes we can gloss over John. But there is some great significance. John 3, verse 30. We'll get, we should get most of John the Baptist in tonight. So one of the significant statements that John the Baptist says, now remember, John the Baptist comes on the scene. He is calling people to repentance. He is calling out the Pharisees. He is telling people that, that they need to repent for their sins. His is a baptism of repentance. Okay? It, we do need to... It's not the same as the baptism that, that we do as, as believers uh, that Christ has instituted. But repentance is the beginning of salvation, right? You have to repent in order to receive the free, the free gift. And so repentance is huge. And again... He was offering a, a, a freedom to the people that the Pharisees and religious leaders were not. They were lording everything over him, not giving them the ability to ever find release from being sorry for what they did. But one of the best statements that John says is John 3 verse 30. He must increase, speaking of Jesus, but I must decrease. Now, having your head put on a platter is pretty, that's decreasing, not only some inches in height, but also, um, you know, he got out of the way. And I think that that's one of the, the challenges we have as believers when we're trying to bring other people to Christ, when we're sharing our faith, is a lot of times we bring them 
to repentance, to Jesus, and then we get in the way. Well, now do it like me. Instead of going, oh, hey, let me walk alongside you now, but let's look at Jesus. Let, let's, I'm out of the way. I've done. God's used me for my part. Now let's look to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying just leave him. Say, okay, you got Jesus moving on to the next. But I think often we can get, we can get in the way, especially with, with new believers, because they want to know stuff. They want to ask you stuff. And, and sometimes we can feel that pressure to have an appropriate answer. Um, and we might not have an appropriate answer. And we can just get in the way. But Christ is exalted, guess what? When we are humble and in the background. So I think that's one thing the attention shifted from John the Baptist and it went to Jesus and Jesus only. You had something. I was going to say, would John be the last Old Testament, uh, not just prophet, but uh, uh, Christ is on the scene. He's not not crucified yet, so uh, Pentecost hasn't come, but I, I guess he'd be the last... Old Testament. Uh, well, the, the only exception I have, I mean, yes, I yes, I could say that. We could say that. The only exception I have to that is he's he's not recorded in the Old Testament. Oh. There's a 400 year gap between the testaments, um, so he is the last prophet before Christ. When you look at Anna and, I, or, uh, Anna and uh, Simeon, and they, uh, I wasn't sure. Can you remind me of the? They were pro- they prophesied. They were not considered prophets, okay. though. Okay. So they prophesied, and all they did was foretell who Jesus was. Okay, I thought it said yeah. in my memory that Anna was a prophetess. Yeah, I think it was she's a prophetess. But again, what did? Uh, but still, John the Baptist came after them. They died after Christ. Okay. So John the Baptist will be the last prophet before Jesus, Jesus. Christ. I just wonder if there was so. a, some type of a. Of combination of, of understanding of, you know, okay. I think the biggest thing is to go to Hebrews chapter one and say, "Hey, in the past, God spoke to us through yeah, prophets, prophet. but now He's spoken through His Son." Right. And so John had to get out of the way. Right. You know, right. What about the, and we know that Ananias and Sapphira and Simeon were very old in age. In fact, Simeon said, "Now I can die." Right. <laughs> I've seen the salvation of the Lord. Goodbye, all. <laughs> what, about, what about Connie's? Uh, Possibility of the thing of the fairness of John being beheaded. What a send off. You're one of the last Old Testament things over there. Uh, of, uh, but I'm not so certain that isn't a, uh, uh, in heaven's reward. I'm not so certain that's not an honor. I don't know. Well, but, John, guess, but John's the least in the kingdom, according to Jesus. So that's a whole different uh, conversation. Well, I, I, I know, I, I thought of that. So I, just, I, guess, I guess the question is, when we talk prophet, mm-hmm. um, when you look at um, Anna being a prophetess and Simeon mm-hmm. and then John, the, really, really the, the prophet, um, when you look at the time of Jesus, because it tells us there was no prophet for 400 years. Right. And so when you look at, at that role... It was more of a, it, you don't see any foretelling. So it's like an announcement? You see announcement or, or okay. foretelling of okay. what God has already revealed, which is what we would consider the gift of prophecy today. Okay. It's now a foretelling, not a predicting of the future or a foretelling, because that happened. So now we're just foretelling 
what God has already revealed. You know, so if you say to somebody, hey, if you keep walking into the freeway, you, could have a you might get hit. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a prophecy, you know, but it's also a foretelling of common sense, right? You know, hey, if you keep doing this, or someone who's a drug addict, if you keep doing this, mm-hmm. only goes, there's only one way to go. Or someone who is railing against the Lord, you could say, look, this is what God's word says for you, that if you don't turn, you will be in condemnation, right? But I didn't say that. God's word says that. So I'm foretelling what God has already revealed. I'm not, I'm not putting their in and saying, well, this is what's going to happen to you because God told me. No, God's word already says, and he says it to you, says it to me. This is what happens to the, the rebellious and, and the wicked. Um, so that's why people, I, I, it's one of those things where that people don't have exception to, to you and I when we tell what God's word says. Mm-hmm. They have exception to God. Yeah. Now we're caught in the middle, and it makes us feel uncomfortable, right? I was looking at so, a YouTube, a YouTube uh, dangerous. You know, they're uh, going through those there, and they showed the these uh, pastor um, uh, dinger up there had a, a comment on it. And I thought it was good, but they had twenty two uh, uh, people. I think it was in not Saudi Arabia or whatever, but but they beheaded them. Yeah, that's their, been out for a while. Oh no, it's been out for a while. All the thing over there. But they wouldn't renounce their Christ. And what I'm saying is that uh, it kind of choked up Jonathan on But uh, I believe he said that they were singing on Christ the solid rock, I stand. Mm-hmm. But the people that are watching that over there, that's quite a testimony. You know, uh, well, but let me tell you something. Go ahead. And maybe I'm just too simplistic. If I'm captured in a Middle Eastern country, in a Muslim country, and they're torturing me, and they want me to... To renounce my faith, I'm definitely not going to because I want to get out of this place. Exactly. Because it's better to be dead than than alive. So why would you renounce it? I mean, you know, I because mean, because some people would not be brave enough to go through all that torture. I don't think I would. Be. I think you would. I think you would. I don't think. I, so. I think you would. You know why? I think you would. I think you would. Yeah, I think you would go. Yeah, but Christ is real. Yeah, not only that. You know, so you mean you're telling me I'm 15 seconds of being able to see the. Right. I could be out of this place, no more pain, no more anything. Yeah. 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 I don't know how we would all be. I think that's when the Lord comes in and we and he takes care of it for us. Let me ask you this, what do you do with people that are caught in medical conditions over there that are horrendous? And they you know, it's tough. There's grace given, but uh, there's people I highly, highly respect that uh, I'm just thinking of one of Bonnie's friends, so she Fell off a horse, broke her neck. She's in a quadriplegic chair, and her husband hasn't left her. He's a, a mason and whatnot. They, they moved over to Mackey from back, back in Wisconsin, and he's been faithful. They, she's in a she's in a little power chair that uh, she just got. But uh, and here's a guy that's just been faithful to his wife, and she's got the malady. But it's a team thing now. It's, it's yeah, but I think it's it's tough for us to look from the outside in and make. Judgments. judgments for how we would be because I think in the moment all those people would say yeah if it weren't for the Holy Spirit I probably would have denied too but I couldn't I, I, I was at the end of my rope and I you know you know I, I and and you know I, I was I don't you know but Laura you know shortly after she was diagnosed was like okay you know I'm just ready to go I guess this is what and it took the Holy Spirit to go wait a second you know not yet you're not done um Amen. You know, so I don't think that there wouldn't be doubts for sure, but I think the Holy Spirit would just say, "Hey, 
you know, um, this is a season I will carry you through. Um, so just three verses that we'll end with tonight, and then we'll just wrap it up here. But Christ is exalted when we are humbled and in the background. Mark sixteen twenty four. Mark sixteen twenty or Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew sixteen twenty four. Boy, I just led you all astray. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse twenty five for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Mark eight verse thirty four. Mark eight thirty four. Mark 8:34 And calling to the crowd to him with his disciples he said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it whoever loses his life for my sake and and for and the gospels will save it Luke 9:23 Luke 9:23 And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So the reason I mention these three, three scriptures is they all say the same exact thing. And again, when we look at John the Baptist saying, He must increase, I must decrease. I got to get out of the way. So if we're to follow Christ, we deny what we want. We deny our, our sinful pleasures. We deny being selfish and we follow him. And part of that denying is simply saying, he's God, I'm not. So I'm subject to his rule and reign um, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because there are days I just don't want to play. And God's like, yeah, sorry, you're mine. <laughs> no, he's much more gentle with me than that. But, but you know, I think that, that it's important for us always to be mindful of the fact of humbleness is is how this works in in the Christian life, um, and all of us would say, "I want Christ to get the glory," because if I get the glory, ooh, you know, you don't want it. well, I can't handle it. And we're going to share in the glory of the Lord somehow. When, like we talked about this morning, that we will share in His glory, but we'll be changed, so the flesh will be out of the way, so we can handle it in a different way. Uh, so that's the whole different conversation. So let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for doing that work in us that we would never choose. Uh, so thank you, Lord, and thank you for being trustworthy. Bless uh, Sharon, who wasn't able to be with us tonight, Lord, and those others who weren't here, Lord, just bless them. Thank you. Bless our week. Uh, we just thank you for how good you are to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.